Tonight I want to talk about prayer, and I totally forgot, my, I think my dad is preaching up the hill for the next, maybe for the next two or three weeks on prayer, um, and I, I completely forgot that, and so I was tempted to call him and just tell him I beat him to the punch, and I took all of his notes, and so if you see him, you feel free to make him nervous somehow with that information. Uh, but prayer is an interesting thing for me to kind of ponder. Um, Oftentimes when we think of prayer, we, we immediately think of it's, it's simply talking with God, uh, talking and listening with God. And it's something that I've, I've known most of my life, but at the same time, uh, it confuses me a little bit. I, I wonder if there's a right way to pray. I wonder if I'm praying selfishly. I wonder if I'm praying in a way that honors God. And um, I, This concept for me, some of what I want to talk about tonight, has helped me in just my personal prayer life. And so, again, if you're like me and uh, prayer is just something you do and it doesn't necessarily cause me tremendous anxiety, but I'm often left wondering what... You think of the concept of I am getting ready to speak and commune with my Creator. Uh, That's uh, one thing I never want to do is pray without having some kind of awareness within my own heart of who I'm speaking to. And I think it's very easy to either walk through kind of a, hey, let's bless the food, or hey, let's uh, say a memorized prayer. Uh, and, and I honestly believe that's when, when, if I do that, I'm using the Lord's name in vain. Um, and so tonight, hopefully, some of, some of the things that comes out will, will give some clarity to your prayer life as well. And so the whole concept is prayer anchored in Scripture, personal connection with an almighty God. When, when God spoke, we have this phrase up here, says, let there be light. And when God declares this, light comes forth. It's created, where essentially the voice of God causes action. Now, if I say let there be light, I have to then get up and flip the switch, right? Where there is a disconnect with my voice and my statement, my word, and myself, we always talk about you want to be a man of your word, but there's a difference. Being a man of your word means you say something and then you do it. There's an action that follows, which is honorable and good, and Scripture talks about that. However, a man is not his word. And I think there's a difference with God because of the, the purity of God, the, the holiness of God. You might even say there's absolute integrity with the person being of God that when he speaks— it happens. With me, there is a, there's a disjoint where I, I believe the Holy Spirit has invaded my spirit and, and that part of me is holy, but yet uh, we all know I have a, a flesh and a part of me that wants to continue to be my own God. And so the desire to be a man of my word means I say something and then I try to get the rest of my life in line with what I say. There's, there's a gap there. And so you can't say that my word is me. And so one of the things that I want to pull out today is the importance and and understanding of Scripture that that is God's Word, essentially is God. Isaiah 55, 10, 11 says, God says, So will my word which goes forth from my mouth, it shall accomplish that which I have purposed, and succeed in things for which I have sent it. God's words are identical with his actions. What God's voice does, God does. I think sometimes we can separate the two because that's our paradigm. That's our our grid. And certainly we can approach the Bible without this truth in our mind, and so then the Bible can simply become uh, a book. 
And so my desire is to recognize how in the Christian life you hear a lot of people talk about what are the essential disciplines, prayer, scripture, uh, community, and to unpack that a little bit, and, and more than just unpack it, to watch how specifically prayer and scripture really go hand in hand. And uh, where we can stop separating the two, even though I might be in prayer in one moment and not reading the Word, or I might be reading the Word one moment and not be in prayer. Uh, I want to see how those things can be so married together that if you do one, there's an aspect that you usher in the other. Uh, again, one of the main ways that man interacts, communes, has a relationship with God is through prayer. You think about everyone knows in relationship. Uh, if you have a relationship with an individual, it's uh, spending time together, right? There's an element of communicating with each other, whether it be um, on the surface or deep within your hearts. You listen to each other. If you want to have a good relationship, you're going to do a good job listening. And so we know this is essential to have a personal relationship. And so we talk about having a personal relationship with our Creator, with our Father. Obviously, prayer is going to have to be a part of that. Now, most studies show that uh, over 80%, and it depends on where you look, but upwards of 85% of people pray on some level. And again, that definition of prayer can be uh, a little bit loose, but essentially it means that a person speaks, whether verbally or within their mind, to a, a higher being, to someone that they consider a deity. So that's a huge number of people, 85%. Uh, but if you, if you adjust kind of the criteria and you ask someone, um, okay, in your prayers, are they ever uh, praying the word? Or, or, or just the fact that do you ever read scripture? And we all know that number drops drastically to how many people read scripture even on a monthly basis. And so prayer is very common. It's almost, you'd almost say that there's something natural about praying. There's something that as God has, has created all people and he's placed certain things in their hearts, whether it be kind of a moral code, uh, prayer is one of those things where even, even those that have a strong resistance towards the God of the Bible find themselves in some form of prayer. And so it's, it's interesting that we would say, uh, yes, but knowing about God is very different than knowing God. And so how do we know when, if, if a person prayers, does, does God hear that? Does he acknowledge that? Does he desire that? What is God's desire in, in my prayer life and in your prayer life? And obviously the difference between knowing about something and knowing something is, is, is drastic. We don't have to give huge or many examples, but think of a relationship. Uh, think of my relationship with my wife. Where a lot of you know Sherry and you know some things about her, uh, but I know her deeply and intimately inside and out. I know what makes her tick. I know all the things that gives her fear. There's a huge difference there. And when you think about trying to know an almighty God, obviously there's... An unknowing, transcendent God, there's limits to what I can understand and what I can know. And God has declared that in his word where he says, my ways are not your ways. Uh, I'm, I'm far above you, in other words. But at the same time, he says he desires to be known, and we just sang about it, that he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and in, the, in his word. And so my desire tonight is really, uh, and which has been helpful for me as well, even though there's a separation, there begins to be layover. And this is kind of a stretch. I'm even scared to say it, but I will. Uh, you think of the Trinity, and, and I can't explain that to you, but in a sense, we talk about there is one God, 
but three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet they are all one God. And so even though we see Scripture itself differentiate between the two, it also communicates about them in a, in a similar fashion, where Jesus, the differentiating might be Jesus saying, uh, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me. There's some form of difference. There's some form of communion. There's some form of relationship there. Yet, many places in Scripture, it says that God the Father created the world. It says that Christ created all things. It says that the Holy Spirit brought things into existence. So you see how they, they are almost interchangeable because they're one person. And I think there's an element where prayer and the Scriptures and Christ himself, God, the Godhead, have a similar interchangeability. And I think my desire is to begin to approach those in that way, particularly in prayer. So approaching God's word is approaching God. And again, this goes back to that idea where God's voice is is God because of the purity and the holiness and the absolute integrity that he has. There's no there's no evil within him. So what he speaks happens. There's two different um there's two specific differences of when we talk about the word of God. And so the first one is the written word. Jeremiah 1.1 1, 1 says, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hakiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So this picture is, this is how the book of Jeremiah starts out. Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And basically, I want to highlight the words of Jeremiah. So these are the words of a man. But as you go a little bit further, the word of the Lord came to him. So all through scripture, we see how God's word comes to a man, man scribes this thing down. And as we've talked, uh, you know, a few months ago about how that is now in, in our hands right here. Jeremiah 1.9 says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. So again, the picture of this being the written word of God that he has used Fallen and broken man. And then probably one of the most uh, common and uh, easy to, to be my favorite, I suppose, is Second Peter one twenty one. because of the clarity. It says, for no prophecy. Uh, prophecy can either mean spoken beforehand, but oftentimes, and nowadays, it also just means the teaching of the word. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man or with the intentions of man. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, this is, this is our model that we teach as far as life, right? Where the Holy Spirit makes it possible to do anything righteous. So the Holy Spirit has moved or carried men along to execute and, and draft God's word. And then there's the living word. And this is Jesus Christ. John 1 says, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this is one of the most poignant examples of that interchangeability or that crossover, where it, where it speaks of all three. There's this Word, and it doesn't yet define what that is, but it makes it personal. The, the original language, it's, it's, a, it's capitalized, if you will. It was with God, and it was God. And right after this, it goes on to describe Jesus Christ coming to earth. And in 1 Peter one twenty three it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of unperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 
So in America, we have so many of these laying around our houses or in hotel rooms and things like that, and it's very easy to see this as, uh, as a bound book with pages inside. Uh, you're, in here, you're in our church, you, you, you perhaps have a little higher respect for that or maybe a much higher respect for that, the fact that you're even here. Uh, and I certainly can continue to approach this thing just for information. I can continue to approach this thing to, to gather information and to increase in perhaps some knowledge. But when I begin to approach this as if I'm approaching God himself, I believe that's when the word comes alive. I believe, and, and part of what that means is I, I truly believe that I now have a personal engagement and interaction with God himself. And when that happens, your life changes. When that happens, you begin to see application. When that happens, the things and the circumstances in life, uh, you begin to bring through this grid of the truth of Scripture. I'll, one of my favorite verses, and it's probably because there's some nostalgia to it, was Romans 8.28. It says, God causes all things to work to the good for those who love him uh, and are called according to his purpose. And I can remember when I was 10 years old, uh, I had a bone cyst, which meant uh, basically my bone was hollow. And uh, this was a huge deal for a guy who worshipped baseball. Uh, and so I couldn't play for a while, and um, I realized to, to not play for a season was, was close to taking my life when I was that age. Um, long story short, I got to play a few more seasons, snapped my arm in half when I threw a ball one time. And so this was a big season of my life. This was uh, quite a circumstance for a 10-year-old boy who loves uh, athletics. And that was probably the first time I'd been, I'd grown up with the word being taught to me. I'd read it. Uh, but I remember that was the first time where I felt like the word truly came alive in an applicable way that changed the grid of how I looked at something, where I was devastated with this news. But yet God brought, and through, through my parents and, and other situations, God brought Romans 8.28 in front of me, which I had read before, that God causes all things to work to the good. And so all of a sudden, just words on paper were incredibly applicable, not to just, oh, that's nice, but in one sense for my peace, and you, you could even say for my survival as a 10-year-old boy, as far as emotionally. And so to me, that, that was always almost this paramount time in my life where the word became alive. It was living. It was more than just a book. It was attached to the promises of God, but more specifically, and I hope I'm understanding more and more, not just the promises of God, but God himself. And so the desire is I want to begin to approach the word as I'm approaching God himself. We talked about the interchangeability. This is 1 John 2.14. I have written to you, young men, because my word abides in you. And if we're familiar with John 15, he says, My word abides in you, and I abide in you. So it's this idea that Jesus, in fact, uses different language to, pro, pro, uh, to communicate the same thing, where he talks about my word abiding in you, and then he goes on to say, I abide in you, my spirit abides in you. So again, to begin to... For my eyes to be trained to see the interchangeability that is used here, there must be some deeper connection than the fact that this just is something that God has said. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to separate. So this idea, again, of the word of God being alive and active. I don't want to communicate the fact that every time you read the Bible, 
that there is going to be these aha moments. Every time you open his word, even with a proper heart posture, that your life is going to be radically changed from that. I, I want to begin, I think my job is to approach the Bible with a proper heart posture, and we'll talk about that. I really think it's God's job to show up. In other words, it's God's job to act upon me. It's God's job to bring revelation. If I sat you in a room for hours and hours and hours and just had you read the word, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to understand more. I think the more exposure to the word we have, the more exposure to God we have, therefore the chances of that happening increase greatly, right? But God is the one and his spirit is the one who brings revelation. So if I approach scripture so simply with my mind, I am missing a very, very key component to, to understand this. And that's where the, the spirit of God enlightens my mind. It gives me understanding where these things are spiritually discerned, the Bible says. So don't get nervous if you read the word and you're like, that felt dry as can be. Uh, I, I have had thousands upon thousands of dry, quiet times where I read the word and I think I have no idea what I was supposed to get from this, or I have no idea what that means, or I read the word and I'm left with way more questions than I feel like I have answers to, at least in that moment. And that's where I just trust that God is, is working in invisible ways. God is working in ways upon your heart, upon my heart, that whether we ever see them carry out in life and recognize them, saying, oh, that was that. I still believe they will be carried out in your life even when you don't recognize them. God acts through his word. This is from Timothy Keller. God acts through his words. And therefore, the way to have God dynamically active in our lives is through the Bible. To understand the scripture is not simply to get information about God. If attended to with trust and faith, the Bible is the way to actually hear God speaking and also meet God himself. So if I want to have an intimate relationship with God, I have got to be in front of the Word of God. And if I'm in front of the Word of God, I think that will begin to drive my prayers. Where the Word of God begins to drive prayers. Listen to this. We speak only to the degree we are spoken to. So take the concept of of a newborn. We have a couple in here. A, A baby... If, it, if a baby is never spoken to, that baby will never speak. But they are engulfed in a sea of language, all enamored with it, upon them, upon them, upon them, upon them. And it's almost like, uh, I like how Eugene Peterson, he puts, language is spoken into us. All speech is answering speech. In other words, uh, the first time Brogan said something, he didn't create that word. It was answered. He, he mimicked it, if you will. And so as we, as we get spoken to, that's how we speak as humans. And I think it's very, very similar with prayer. Our prayers should arise out of immersion in the scriptures. And so if I'm being spoken to by the word of God, I think that will now fuel and drive my prayer life. And so it's interesting for me that um, many times uh, I get to to speak to a lot of people on a personal level with my job, and so I get to ask a lot of questions. I can get away with asking anything. It's kind of a neat perk. 
kind of scary sometimes. Uh, but I ask them a lot of personal, I ask them a lot of spiritual questions. And so many, many, many times I'll ask about, you know, are you comfortable praying? Do you pray? What, you know, ex- describe your prayer life to me. And many times I get people answer, oh, absolutely, I pray often. Or, uh, I, I pray when something comes up. But a lot of these people pray regularly, and I'll go on to ask, you know, tell me, tell me more about your, your spiritual life. Uh, do you interact with, with other people and have conversations? Uh, that's lower on the list. Do you go to church? Yeah, that's higher on the list. Are you in the Word? That's really low on the list. But multiple times I get people who pray often and are never in front of the Word. And so I'll ask them, you know, so what do you pray? You know, what are the things that you pray about? And, and I believe these are, um, it's honestly very dangerous because we take an aspect of faith, praying and communing to God, but it's still filtered through my intellectual and emotional grid. And so I will pray about something and I'll say, I think God wanted me to do this. And many, many times you will hear people say, well, God told me to do this, or I just know I was supposed to do that, and I think it was of God. And really, I want to say, no, no, you just felt like doing that very passionately, and you happened to pray about it. And so I believe prayer must be tethered to God's word. Remember uh, tetherball? What's uh, Napoleon Dynamite, right? other ball that that ball isn't getting detached from that that post now it has some freedom it can be taut all the way out it can be loose you know those kind of things uh so it moves it has it it has a life but it's always attached to the post and so prayer i believe has different forms we'll talk about in a second um it doesn't have to look the same to mike as it does to me uh we don't have to have the exact same renditions of our prayers but I truly believe it. It must always be firmly connected to and grounded in the truths of Scripture. Um, it can be easy to to hear this and then think, okay, so every time I I have to look at the Scripture and I'll look at an example of Paul's prayer and now I have to pray that. Well, a great practice to look at Scripture and see what prayers are in there and 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 try to mimic that. Uh, try to take the Lord's prayer, right? I mean, we he, disciples ask Jesus, how should I pray? And he says, pray like this. But it's even easy to take that, and all of a sudden, we, we just apply those words without any meaning to our prayer life. And so my desire, I have, there is no one way to pray. This is not to say that one specific prayer and all other forms of prayers are wrong. So I totally believe in the absolute freedom to pray, where I would almost say there's not a wrong form of prayer. There's perhaps a wrong posture. Prayer is communing with God, and God is limitless and unsearchable in his fullness. Would I believe that carry over as my relationship with God is not going to have those kind of boundaries that we tend to give it, right, that religion tends to put on it? Uh, So I hope you do not hear that tonight. Scripture, of course, gives us many different examples of prayer. Again, you look at the epistles, and you see one prayer here and one prayer there. Uh, And it also commands us in different ways. And so when the Bible says, hey, ask whatever is on your heart, uh, or make your thanksgiving, uh, offer, uh, offer your sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. There's different commands, pray like this, pray like that. And so there's no, there's no one way. Uh, one example would be in silence, right? Be still and know that I am God, it says in scriptures. There's an element that word be still means to cease, to stop, to just 
shut off for a second. And somehow God begins to reveal himself in that. Other times we pray with word, right? Words of expression. Again, the Bible says, make your request known to God. Other place it says, pour out your heart like water before the Lord. Sometimes it's lamenting, voicing heartache and loss and grief that ends with a posture of trust. Uh, Mr. Parrish was, and I were talking about this one time, and, and he gave a great example how lamenting seems very similar to complaining. But we know Scripture says uh, you shouldn't complain about anything, and nobody likes people who complain, so that's kind of scary. But if I'm honest, I want to complain to God all the time. But the difference, I think, here is lamenting is a complaint towards God about your sorrow, your grief, your heartache, your loss. But the imposture is still this surrender. It's kind of, yet I will trust you. Complaining simply is complaining. It's voicing your grief and everything like that, and then you leave there, right? And think of complaining people. There's never solution orientation. It's always problem focus. Thanksgiving. Praise or adoration, simply to God for who he is. Uh, confession and repentance, that's a big one. A lot of my life I have prayed uh, for humility. I have prayed that I would be a humble person. And a lot of what I think that meant is I wanted to express humility to other people. But integrity is doing, letting your character be revealed when no one's watching, right? And that's kind of the truest sense. And so I had to ask myself, Okay, I might be able to confess to you all or to act humble before you or to repent in front of you where I have an audience, but how much of my private prayer life is in confession? How much of my private prayer life is in repentance before God? You see how that's probably much closer than to true humility than simply wanting to be seen as humble. And so this is one that I, I don't think we're very good at. Requests, again, God gives us the absolute freedom to say, something on your heart, something that you want, ask me. You earthly fathers, if, if, if your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? No. You who are evil know, know how to give good gifts. Certainly your heavenly father can give good gifts. And so he gives us the opportunity to ask. Other times, it's simply, prayer is simply in thought and awareness. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Now obviously that doesn't mean heads bowed, eyes closed all the time, right? It doesn't even mean that you verbalize it. I believe there's a thought and an awareness that as I'm speaking to you, certain moments, certain times where you're interacting with people, every once in a while, the eyes of your heart just kind of reflect upward to God. There's simply an awareness that Christ is in me. Jesus, please show up. It's those little one-second prayers, one-second requests, one-second thank you, God, for that. Thanksgiving. One-second thank you for your forgiveness. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Those ideas of praying without ceasing, I think, oftentimes is simply within your mind, and they don't last very long. Uh, this is one of my, my favorite concepts that someone taught me, was just holding others in the presence of God. There's a lot of times God will put someone on my heart, and sometimes I'll have words to pray, and I'll know what I want to pray, and there's other times I have no idea what to pray. But all of a sudden, God will put Boomer on my heart, and a lot of times I simply just take the thought of Boomer and I put him in the presence of God. And I know that seems really mystical, and I don't even know how to unpack that for you, but there is a freedom that I got that simply was, he's on my heart, God, I just hold him in your presence within my mind. And it's just a, I think it's just an uplifting of that person. Again, no wrong forms of prayer, but I do believe there's a wrong heart of prayer. 
And I believe when our prayers become man-centered, that's when we need to look out. That's when we need to wonder um, if I'm using God for only my interest. Now, God is interested in me. God delights in me. God wants my joy and my happiness. But when I begin to use him simply for my means, I believe, again, that's a way of taking the Lord's name in vain, if you will. If, if, if there ceases to be an attitude that God is God and I am not in my prayer life, he is greater than I. You guys seen, seen that company? Great, there's t-shirts and things like that. That's the posture that I think we need. That's the heart attitude that I think I need when I go to God. Just a simple recognition that he is greater than I. Uh, one example of, the, of things that I think are man-centered. Uh, prayer of expression and request, if that's the only form of prayer you practice, if the only kind of prayer is obvious, is, is either you're asking for something or you're simply expressing something. I'll give you an example. Pastor Steve's not here. Uh, Steve's walked with God for a long time. He's got an incredible relationship with God. It's easy to see. Well, if all of a sudden, um, I'll take my son. He's not old enough yet, probably. But if, if Griffin's 13 years old and he approaches Steve and says, Pastor Steve, I really want you to mentor me. I want you to disciple me. So can I just be around you? Can I just spend some time? Could we maybe even meet on a regular basis? How about we meet once a week uh, where I can just kind of sit under you? And so Pastor Steve says, absolutely. And so every time Finn goes and sits with Pastor Steve, all Finn does is just express himself. All he does is say, eh, here's what I think about that. I don't like this team. There's this kid at school. And all he does is simply expressing, even venting, right? All he does is vent how he feels. And then he says, ah, thank you, Pastor Steve, so much for talking with me. I'll see you next week. And he walks out the door. You see how Griffin-centered that is. Is that going to benefit him? Is he going to glean from Pastor Steve? No. And we give a lot of credit to venting, but I don't think there's a lot of healing that takes place when it's only venting. There's certainly a place for that, and there's people for that. But you can see in that example how he would leave years of, quote, being mentored by Steve, and if that was the practice, he would leave very unchanged. He would not walk away more like Steve from those examples. Yet how many times do, do we simply go to God, and this is pretty much the only way it ever looks, is expressing something and then walking up and leaving the table. What is essential in prayer is not the way we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. Again, this is what I believe. You don't have much to speak until you've been spoken to. And I believe if we aren't tethered with Scripture, if Scripture doesn't drive our prayer life, this will tend to be the path that we fall into. That man-centered, simple expression. Wrong heart equals wrong living. When our prayers don't derive from Scripture, we begin to speak before we have ever been instructed, resulting in becoming our own authority and our own God. Again, this is what I, I feel like I see very, very often. A person prays for something, acts on something, and all of us watching are left going, I don't know if that's from God. That certainly didn't look like God. That didn't resemble Jesus. And so really, we take a principle that's biblical, but yet I still run it through my grid of authority and say, yep, this makes sense. This is what I do. Our feelings, our passions, and our desires, and our reason begin to drive us. 
here's a great example. George Whitfield is a, he's probably one of the greatest speakers in the history of the church. And he had a, he, he had his first, when his first son was born, so he, this is a godly, godly man. First son was born, and he just had this deep, deep impression that his son would not only be a godly man, but his son would be an incredible preacher. That God would use his son to teach and to preach um, to the masses. And so when he, ba- he baptized his son when he was an infant, and he kind of declared this to his congregation. And basically, with full confidence, totally believing that God had impressed this message on his heart. And so with, very, with boldness, he declared, this is what God has for my son. Uh, some people kind of scoffed. He didn't care. Well, four months later, that boy died. And so he's left with this deep confusion of, whoa, wait a minute. And he was humble enough and wise enough and knew God enough that he realized that his heir, and he repented of the fact that he, he presumed upon God and he took his passion and his impression and his deep desire for his son, which are all good things, but he turned that into a word from God. And he recognized his error in that. He recognized the arrogance of that. And so that's a great example of how easy it is for us to take, again, things that aren't wrong, our feelings, our desires, our reasons, things that aren't wrong, but they ought never be the driving force and the absolute end all of what God has spoken to us. They're gifts, they're messengers, they're tools to be used in decision-making so long as they're grounded in the word. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Listen to that last part again. They have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong. I think many times God will put an impression on your heart that you feel like, I just think this is the right thing to do. I think the Holy Spirit does that often. And so I'm not saying God doesn't impress your heart and then you're to act on that. I think oftentimes that's obedience. But what I am saying is to be sure of that action and to trust your discernment, I really believe that you have to train that and practice that by being in front of the Word And by being in front of the word, I believe that's being, again, in front of God himself. At that point, then I believe you get get more freedom like the tetherball. You get more freedom to say, I feel like God impressed this on me. And it seems in line with the teaching of his word. And the next step may be, maybe I ask somebody. Maybe I run this by sharing before I act on it, seeking godly counsel to make sure. I hope that makes sense to you. To me, this is, uh, this is the exciting part. To be a child of God gives you access to God. Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit, capital, Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is in Galatians, or I'm sorry, in Romans and then Galatians. These are both um, when Paul is speaking to Christians. And what he, what he means by that is those who have recognized that their sin and they're playing God, and they're doing their own thing, is high treason against their creator, and they have recognized that Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty for that treason, and that Christ took on the wrath of God so that they didn't have to. And, And we simply say yes to that. We simply say, I believe that, and so I want to say yes to your offer of forgiveness. 
So when that takes place, when the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, it makes that possible. His Holy Spirit comes and he puts me in right standing with God. Now I am in right position with my Creator. That's what it means to be a child of God. All are created by God with the capacity in the image of God to know God. But to be a child of God means that you have been adopted as sons and daughters, Scripture says. You've been brought from darkness to light. So if that's true, if that's happened in your life, we claim these. Galatians 3.16, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the, one of the greatest, most powerful pictures in Scripture for me is when Christ died on the cross and he wore cry out, Testelestai, it is finished, paid in full. Remember the veil rips. There's this huge, heavy veil that separated the Holy of Holies or that place where God's spirit, God's presence was in the Old Testament. It separated that holiness from sinful man, and there was layer upon layer of separation because here's holy, perfect God, and here's stained, sinful creation. And when Christ does that, that veil rips apart, indicating that we now have access to God himself. And so my deep, deep desire is to recognize when I pray, it is in Jesus' name because he has made it possible. I have, I'm his child. I have access to him. I can go to him boldly. When I open the word, I recognize that Jesus Christ has made it possible and that this, in fact, is his heart. This is his word, not just instruction. It's access. God says, come. He calls you to himself. We speak like that often, but it's, it's scary to me how regular that is without me being just in absolute awe that my, the creator of creation looks at me, knows my name, and he says, come. He doesn't need me, but it shows me his delight in me. Again, my desire tonight is to encourage intimacy with God, not to hinder by putting a bunch of rules around it, not to have you walk out here going, oh my gosh, I hope I have, I, I, I've prayed wrong and I hope I don't do it again, where now there's a fear in how I approach God. My desire is that there would be such freedom uh, my experience, again, uh, I have this knowledge that I should pray. I even have this longing on my heart that I want to pray. Uh, but a lot of times, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, how to approach God, or I don't know what I'm supposed to say in this moment. And, and this has certainly helped me really give the freedom to recognize, maybe I don't know what to say because I just need to hear from him. And sometimes that's very, very literally all right, I'm going to open the Bible, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to try to pray. But it doesn't always have to look like that. Other times, I think, if we're in this regularly, we're in this daily, well, then that makes its way into you. And then as you're going, flying around life, that's when I think you can throw up these prayers because this stuff has gotten into you. My desire is that your prayer life would become more natural and more consistent in order to experience God and release his peace and his power in your life. That I think as you do the discipline of putting yourself in front of the word, I think you will find prayer to be much more natural. Be spoken to so you know how to respond. 
Is it going to be weird to pray after the uh, end of a prayer sermon? If, if you would, um, I have no idea how long this will be. It's not going to be long. Uh, let's, let's go before God, and like we do oftentimes at the end of a service, let's pray together. But I, I want to make sure that this is not in vain in my heart, and I, I desire it not to be in vain in your heart, not to be just, hey, it's because this is how we end a sermon. So I just invite you to pray with me. Father, it's, 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 it's interesting to be, I guess, in my position right now to think of approaching you um, in unity or at least in communion or in the presence of all of these. And I so desire for the absolute freedom and boldness that you have given us through the cross of Jesus Christ that we can come to you as, as my sons and my daughters come to me, that we can know that you love us and you delight in us and you're not out there saying, oh, Nick, that prayer was wrong. But God, I also know that the proper posture and position before you for me and therefore the way that my life is going to be powerful, my life is going to impact uh, this earth, that I'm going to get peace is if I approach you with absolute humility and thanksgiving that I can come boldly before you. And so I do pray that, um, uh, in a sense, I feel like these feeble words and this feeble effort, uh, that your spirit would empower uh, and, and impress the hearts and minds of these people, that uh, they truly would have more freedom to go before you, and that we would be a people who are absolutely grounded in your word, uh, not because reading a book is healthy, uh, but because encountering God is healthy. And we are desperate for it, and we need it. And so for me, God, I do want to approach your word as I'm approaching you, and that you would meet each of us in those moments, and that in turn we would know how to respond to each other, and we would bring you glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.